Hello and welcome to another episode of Best of the Left Podcast. Today we have clips from the Young Turks, Barack Obama, Rachel Maddow, and the Sam Cedar Show. coverage tonight live jake uger ben manquitz west clark jr will be joining us later jr producing jesus directing everybody get ready <laughs> is that uh, is that what they do in iowa does somebody oh, actually blow a bugle to say the caucus rooms are open yes now they're not open yet hold hold they open in half an hour t minus oh. Half an hour left. They're coming. So uh, They're coming. 6.30 they open in Iowa? Is that the deal? Uh, 6.30 Iowa time. Uh, they will open, and they will be flooded by tens, maybe dozens, yeah. of Iowa caucus goers. Yeah, I just think it looks like from on the Republican side that the uh, uh, that the rural rapists really turned out for Mike Huckabee. <laughs> well, look, by the way, with 40% of the precincts reporting, uh, Huckabee's lead is at least smaller. It's now 31-23. That, that does make a slight difference. If at 16%, it's a blowout. At 8%, okay, he beat Romney comfortably, but it's not a blowout. Oh, we got a gavel. We got a gavel. Well, that's kind of, that's strong language, Ben. <laughs> it's 718 in Phoenix. <laughs> I'm prepared to, uh, uh, I'm prepared, not the networks. I'm going to call it. Wow, we have a call. Yeah, Barack Obama's going to win the Iowa caucus. Wow, there it is. Uh, we are, Slash maybe not. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's a, a, I mean, it's been a steady climb since those first numbers. Uh, you know, we're pushing 60% now. Uh, of, of the votes are in. In fact, we're over 60%. We're coming in on 70%. That lead has done nothing but increase. It's now a 3.5% lead uh, with over 60% of the precincts reporting. He's going to win. Uh, it's a question. I mean, I don't know whether he's going to win by 2, 3, 4, 5, but he's going to win, and that's a very big story. And the race for second between Hillary and John Edwards is still too close to call with Edwards slightly ahead at this point. I'm calling it Edwards with the point. Two two percent lead over Hillary Clinton will come in second. <laughs> that's that's a bolder that's bolder no question. No, I'm playing seriously. Uh, <laughs> Bill Richardson will finish fourth. That's that is definitely true. I really see Hillary as uh, as 1990 Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson in her prime. I mean, she's the favorite. Uh, it was going to be hard to beat her, and I you don't I beat tell her. You, I thought that last summer. I didn't think that since September or October. Well, uh, and let me finish it out, and then I'll because um, I'm curious. Yeah, I, 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 there's an excellent chance I'm wrong, but just that she clearly can be beaten. Buster Douglas beat Mike Tyson, but he had to knock him down three times. And like you can't, she's not done. You don't knock her out with one punch. You're gonna have to come back and knock her down again, and you're gonna have to eventually knock out her mouthpiece, and she's gonna have to be crawling around the floor in South Carolina trying to find her mouthpiece. I think this night might have been historic, and because. I was at least in my mind a third of who what what determines president, and Obama had a convincing victory here. 
So he's on his way. Doesn't mean he's going to win. It doesn't, you know, but he just won a third of the relevant portion of this campaign. So, and the Democrat is definitely more likely to win than the Republican. Much more likely. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it is more likely. So tonight we might have seen the beginning of what will be our first black president. Yeah, okay, a, and that's not a small thing. Our first real black president. As opposed to every single black president we've had in film and TV for the last 20 years. That's right. <laughs> well, Dennis Haysbert wasn't president, so we've told him. By the way, uh, you know, that's the big picture and incredibly significant. The little picture, and I don't want to suggest as we finish up here that we uh, misrepresented things. Fred Thompson back up by 300 votes uh, over uh, John McCain. So uh, Fred Thompson doesn't stand a chance. No, no, I'm just talking about how well it goes. McCain finishing third only gives him a little more. It doesn't mean, it's meaningless for Thompson. It is... Arguably a little Thompson, Biden, Richardson, Ron Paul, Kucinich, well, no, everybody. Ron decides. Paul's going to stay in through Super Tuesday. Oh no, he will because yeah. he's getting money. Right, but uh, but there's other guys. Again, we can stop. Uh, we can stop including them in the debates and and the and and everything else. Yeah, it's Ron Paul is at ten percent. So all you Dr. Ron Paul fans, and he, so he did not come into third. He did not meet. It, it appears did not beat McCain or uh, Thompson. But it's a good healthy showing. And a lot of these guys will drop out, and guys like Ron Paul never drop out. So you never know. Maybe he'll get up no, to fifteen percent. He might. Yeah. You know, it, is there any percentage where Ron uh, Paul, Paul becomes relevant? Oh, uh, but how about this? Come on, let's like just forty percent. He'd be relevant. But let let me. Fa can I fantasize? Sure. He stays around six to seven percent in the primaries in a lot of states. Twelve in a case. Does sixteen in a state here and he's there? He's going to do good in Texas. And then he's disenchanted with. He's so disenchanted with the party. And he runs as an independent. Then it's done. It's done. <laughs> That's the anti-Bloomberg. The anti-Bloomberg. It's the anti. Uh, it's the anti-Nader. It's the. It's yeah, the he splits the Republican. Vote. He takes five percent. It's, it's done. I bet he doesn't. He won't do that. Oh I, no! I said it's a fantasy. Fantasy. No, fantasy. fantasy. I just had a love. It was just a great moment. And I just thought way, it for a moment. And by the way, he would also take votes from Democrat because he's so anti-war. And there's a lot. Those no. Ron Paul supporters are rabid. I gotta no, say, no, I think he'll take five percent from the Democrats and take ten percent from the. No, Republicans. he wouldn't take five percent from the Democrats. No, no he'll he'll take some from because I had a conversation with some of my neighbors yesterday. They're like, "Yeah, what about Ron Paul? He kind of he's like against the war and stuff." And I'm yeah. like, "Do you realize he wants to make abortion illegal?" Yeah, and I'm like what? He kind of <laughs> he kind of racist. So it, it, it ain't gonna fly. Right. Eventually, yeah. it won't. Yeah, fly. it won't. Eventually, it won't fly. Right. Yeah. So basically, guys, here we are at uh, eight o'clock our time, eleven o'clock uh, Eastern. Nine, nine in Phoenix, no. according to our clock. <laughs> nine <laughs> in Phoenix, <laughs> uh, and I think we're done. I think we've had a, a great night, a fascinating night. You know what we should do? What's that? We should do the morning show right now, and then we'll just cut it up with commercials, and we can sleep in tomorrow. <laughs> There's an no idea. one's gonna know the fucking difference. <laughs> All right. Well, we likely won't take that advice, and we will be back live tomorrow morning, Wes and I, on theyoungturks.com and on Air America as well. So tune in for that tomorrow at uh, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern. Ben Manquis, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here, buddy. That uh, was great stuff. And uh, Barack Obama, your big winner, your po possibly your historic winner on the Democratic side, and Huckabee, the winner on the Repo Republican side, with John McCain surge. Third yep. place, Hillary. Third place, Hillary. That might be the biggest news of all. We'll see you tomorrow. Young Turks.
They said this day would never come. They said our sights were set too high. They said this country was too divided, too disillusioned to ever come together around a common purpose. But on this January night, at this defining moment in history, you have done what the cynics said we couldn't do. have done what the state of New Hampshire can do in five days. You have done what America can do in this new year, 2008. In lines that stretched around schools and churches, in small towns, and in big cities, you came together as Democrats, Republicans, and independents to stand up and say that we are one nation, we are one people, and our time for change has come. You said the time has come to move beyond the bitterness and pettiness and anger that's consumed Washington. To end the political strategy that's been all about division and instead make it about addition. To build a coalition for change that stretches through red states and blue states. because that's how we'll win in November, and that's how we'll finally meet the challenges that we face as a nation. We are choosing hope over fear. We're choosing unity over division and sending a powerful message that change is coming to America. the time has come to tell the lobbyists who think their money and their influence speak louder than our voices that they don't own this government. We do, and we are here to take it back. The time has come for a president who will be honest about the choices and the challenges we face who will listen to you and learn from you even when we disagree, who won't just tell you what you want to hear, but what you need to know. And in New Hampshire, if you give me the same chance that Iowa did tonight, I will be that president for America.
I'll be a president who finally makes health care affordable and available to every single American the same way I expanded health care in Illinois by, by bringing Democrats and Republicans together to get the job done. I'll be a president who ends the tax breaks for companies that ship our jobs overseas and put a middle-class tax cut into the pockets of working Americans who deserve it. I'll be a president who harnesses the ingenuity of farmers and scientists and entrepreneurs to free this nation from the tyranny of oil once and for all. And I'll be a president who ends this war in Iraq and finally brings our troops home. who restores our moral standing, who understands that 9-11 is not a way to scare up boats, but a challenge that should unite America and the world against the common threats of the 21st century. Common threats of terrorism and nuclear weapons, climate change and poverty, genocide and disease. Tonight, we are one step closer to that vision of America because of what you did here in Iowa. And so I'd especially like to thank the organizers and the precinct captains, the volunteers and the staff who made this all possible. And while I'm at it, on thank yous, I think it makes sense for me to thank the love of my life, the rock of the Obama family, the closer on the campaign trail. Give it up for Michelle Obama. You. You. I know you didn't do this for me. You did this, you did this because you believed so deeply in the most American of ideas, that in the face of impossible odds, people who love this country can change it. I know this. I know this because while I may be standing here tonight, I'll never forget that my journey began on the streets of Chicago doing what so many of you have done for this campaign and all the campaigns here in Iowa, organizing and working and fighting to make people's lives just a little bit better. I know how hard it is. It comes with little sleep little pay, and a lot of sacrifice. There are days of disappointment, but sometimes, just sometimes, there are nights like this. A night, a night that years from now, when we've made the changes we believe in, when more families can afford to see a doctor, when our children, when Malia and Sasha and your children 
inherit a planet that's a little cleaner and safer. When the world sees America differently, and America sees itself as a nation less divided and more united, you'll be able to look back with pride and say that this was the moment when it all began. This was the moment when the improbable beat what Washington always said was inevitable. This was the moment when we tore down barriers that have divided us for too long. When we rallied people of all parties and ages to a common cause. When we finally gave Americans who'd never participated in politics a reason to stand up and to do so. This was the moment when we finally beat back the politics of fear and doubt and cynicism, the politics where we tear each other down instead of lifting this country up. This was the moment. Years from now, you'll look back and you'll say that this was the moment. This was the place where America remembered what it means to hope. For many months, we've been teased, even derided, for talking about hope. But we always knew that hope is not blind optimism. It's not ignoring the enormity of the task ahead or the roadblocks that stand in our path. It's not sitting on the sidelines or shirking from a fight. Hope is that thing inside us that insists despite all the evidence to the contrary, that something better awaits us if we have the courage to reach for it and to work for it and to fight for it. Hope is what I saw in the eyes of the young woman in Cedar Rapids who works the night shift after a full day of college and still can't afford health care for a sister who's ill. A young woman who still believes that this country will give her the chance to live out her dreams. Hope is what I heard in the voice of the New Hampshire woman who told me that she hasn't been able to breathe since her nephew left for a ruck, who still goes to bed each night praying for a safe return. Hope is what led a band of colonists to rise up against an empire, what led the greatest of generations to free a continent and heal a nation what led young women and young men to sit at lunch counters and break fire hoses and march through Selma and Montgomery for freedom's cause. Hope, hope is what led me here today. With a father from Kenya, a mother from Kansas, and a story that could only happen in the United States of America. Hope is the bedrock of this nation. The belief that our destiny will not be written for us, but by us, by all those men and women who are not content to settle for the world as it is, who have the courage to remake the world as it should be.
That is what we started here in Iowa, and that is the message we can now carry to New Hampshire and beyond. The same message we had when we were up and when we were down. The one that can change this country brick by brick, block by block, callous hand by callous hand, that together, ordinary people can do extraordinary things because we are not a collection of red states and blue states. We are the United States of America. And in this moment, in this election, we are ready to believe again. Thank you, Iowa. And for the 37 million Americans who live in poverty, when we speak up for single moms who have no place to live with their children, when we speak up for hundreds of thousands of veterans who serve this country proudly and are homeless with no place to live at night, when we do that together as a nation, and Iowa caucus goers did it tonight, when we do it, America is a better place. It says something about who we are. It says something about our character. Because when we do, America rises up. America becomes what it's capable of being. And what began, and it is not over, what began tonight in the heartland of America is the Iowa caucus goers said, enough is enough. We are better than this. We are going to bring the change that this country needs. Welcome back to the Rachel Maddow Show here on Air America Radio. That, of course, was part of John Edwards' speech last night after he learned that he beat Hillary Clinton in the Iowa caucuses narrowly, even if both he and Clinton lost to Barack Obama. It was Obama and Mike Huckabee's night, no doubt. But Edwards, I think does not deserve the media shutout that he is getting today after placing second and beating Hillary Clinton. Uh, and I think that a look at the populism that you just heard Edwards articulating there, that has become the hallmark of his campaign this time around. And that has also, in a different way, been the hallmark of Mike Huckabee's campaign on the Republican side. I think the populism factor uh, really deserves a closer look in terms of evaluating the candidates' chances at this point forward uh, and also the future of both political parties. Uh, joining us now to do just that is David Sirota. David is the author of Hostile Takeover, How Big Money and Corruption Conquered Our Government and How We Take It Back. He's got a forthcoming book. It'll be out later this year that's called The Uprising, An Unauthorized Tour of the Populist Revolt, Scaring Wall Street and Washington. David is a columnist, a syndicated columnist for Creator Syndicate. And he joins us on the phone today from Denver, Colorado. Uh, David, thanks very much for joining us. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Rachel. Um, the, the pundit class says that populism doesn't win elections. It makes people yell themselves hoarse at rallies, but it doesn't win elections. Do you think that uh, last night's results could, could maybe change that common wisdom? 
Yeah, I, 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 well, let me put it this way. I don't think it'll change the wisdom among the pundit class, but I do think it will, it will change the, it will, it, it should send a message about the power of populism and specifically economic populism in the electoral arena. I mean, here you had John Edwards getting 30% of the Democratic caucus vote, uh, pushing Barack Obama to take up a more populist line in recent weeks. Uh, and you had Mike Huckabee, who, you know, everyone's talking about how he's a, he's a religious conservative, and certainly he is, but the thing that differentiated Huckabee, and this is the key point here, all the Republicans were trying to be, position themselves as, as religious social conservatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the thing that differentiated Huckabee was the fact that he was the only Republican candidate talking about economic inequality, corporate power, uh, uh, and basically identifying himself with the middle class. And I think that was the thing that differentiated him. And so I think, you know, the pundits can, can say what they want. And, you know, most folks in Washington feel pretty threatened, I think, by populism because populism inherently indicts the system in which they work. Mm. And so they'll continue to sort of downplay it. But I think last night is just yet another example of how economic populism and the public's discontent with the current economy with a with a with a system that's so dominated by corporate money is is central now in our politics. I feel like in the on the Republican side those interests make themselves known much more confidently than they do on the Democratic side. You have the activists like the Grover Norquists and the Club for Growth and the uh, the Swift Boat Veterans Funders and all of these guys um, who I think explicitly identify themselves as anti-populists, who identify themselves as the, the spokespeople and the tip of the spear for the economic and moneyed interests in a way that you, you don't necessarily see outside Republican Party Activism, And so when we see the Club for Growth and the Swift Boat donors um, running attack ads against Mike Huckabee, it's really easy to see them trying to topple him on those grounds. Is there anybody within the Republican activist world, within the powers that be on the Republican side, the powers that decide who gets to be a candidate for president in that party? Is there anybody who fights the other side of that, who actually does push the populist, uh, does, does push for populist candidates and for populist messages? It's a great question, and the answer, unfortunately, is uh, is, is really no. Mm. Uh, there was a, a recent New York Times story uh, asking evangelical leaders uh, about Huckabee, asking them why they hadn't hadn't come to his his the aid of his campaign, why why essentially they haven't incorporated uh, you know economic populism into their religious message. I mean, you know, as as I've heard one politician once say, you know, you know, if Jesus was a politician, he might be a socialist. Mm. In other words, you know. He, you know, help the poor and the meek shall inherit the earth, et cetera, et cetera. And the, what ended up happening was in this New York Times story was that these, these, many of these religious leaders showed that they put their partisan loyalties, their loyalties to the Republican Party and the, the coalition, the, the, the sort of the Reagan coalition, ahead of, in many cases, what should be their religious ideology. I mean, look, I got a problem with, with, with the super social conservatism of, of the religious right, but, but, you know, many religious people in this country, you know, rank and file, just people out there, you know, they may be social conservatives, but that doesn't mean they necessarily, you know, support sort of country club uh, Republican economics. Sure. Well, that was the whole, I mean, that was the whole idea that we all kind of, I think, came to a real realization about in 2004. And for some smarter people, even earlier, this idea that people who are voting on social conservative wedge, wedge issues for the Republican Party are being driven to do that by people who have actually no interest 
interest in those social conservative web wedge issues at all. They only have economic country club economic issues uh, that that are driving the real decisions in the Republican Party. And they trot out all this social stuff and all these wedge issues and all this hate the gays, hate the brown people stuff uh, in order to mobilize working class people to vote against their economic interests to vote for the Republican Party. That's right. And what was so amazing about this New York Times article was that at the very bottom you had Grover Norquist saying he just wished that Mike Huckabee would go revive the Christian coalition and get the get religious conservatives to keep voting for what Norquist called the Reagan-Goldwater coalition, which really what he was saying was, I wish Mike Huckabee would just go get religious working class social conservatives to keep voting against their economic interests for, for basically, you know, corporate interests in Washington. And, the, you know, the other thing that was d- disappointing, at least for last night in the coverage of all this was that all you heard about on TV was that Mike Huckabee was a religious conservative and he won because he was a religious social conservative. Now, obviously, that played a, a, a big role for him, but almost nobody mentioned almost nobody mentioned that the real thing that differentiated this candidate from other Republican candidates was that he was talking about issues of economic class. And I think that's, that's a shame, but I think it's, it's, it's I guess, expected from a, from a, a, a beltway media mm. that, that just is not really interested in these issues. And in many cases, for many different reasons, uh, going from corporate ownership of the media to the fact that most people in the media are of the upper class, you know, most people in the Beltway media just aren't interested in these issues. Sure. And, and even in the face of all of the evidence, I mean, when you go to, if you go to iowagop.org today and you look at the map of where each candidate in the Republican caucuses won, where they won, um, the, everybody had said, you know, oh, Mike Huckabee will only win that upper northwest corner with all of the homeschoolers and the social social conservatives. That's not true at all. Mitt, Mitt Romney won, won a few far west counties, and and Mike Huckabee was completely locked up almost the entire map of Iowa. And and it's not at all it, what actually happened doesn't fit that narrative of, of he's just mobilizing the religious people. Um, it, it it makes much more sense to 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 see that his victory was because of the resonance of his of his very pithy line when he said, you know, I think people would rather vote for a guy who they could imagine working with rather than vote for a guy who they could imagine laying them off. That, that's and that's exactly right. And, and, and you know, again, the thing is that many of his voters might be religious voters, but but not all of them. But, well, not all of them, but even the religious voters, right? Even the religious, many religious voters are not what you'd call country club Republican, you know, don't subscribe to the country club Republican economic agenda. Yeah. And I think that is the real wedge in the Republican Party. I think that poses potentially huge upsides for populist politicians of both parties. One of the ways that Democrats can expand their ability to win elections, whether a presidential election or congressional elections, is if they are economic populists. I mean, the best example of this was Ohio in 2006, when Sherrod Brown, an unabashed economic populist mm-hmm. and progressive, you know, cruised to victory uh, for the U.S. Senate in a state that is very, very difficult for Democrats, and he did it basically by winning the Democratic base and by reaching into conservative constituencies, socially conservative constituencies, constituencies with an economically populist message. Looking for a leader to bring our country home. Being at the red, white, and blue before it turns to stone.
let me just tell you about our cynicism. Sometimes we can be cynical about the process. Uh, and, you know, last night, our when we started the show and Ben was on the show as well uh, during our live coverage, our cynicism proved to be wrong. And I that's an interesting uh, thing that needs to be oh. pointed out. We said, oh, you know, they say the young are going to show up and it's going to be higher voter turnout than usual. But that's what they say in every election and it never happens. Well, you know what? We were wrong because it happened this time. In 2004, 124,000 people go uh, to the caucuses. Now, that was a, remember, that's, we gotta beat George Bush and who's gonna win, Kerry or Dean or, you know, and, or mm. Edwards. And it was a, don't think that it wasn't an exciting race in 2004 or that it wasn't an important race. It was. 124,000 people showed up to the Democratic caucus in Iowa in 2004. This year, 230,000. They nearly doubled the 2004 numbers. Yeah, it's an amazing number. No, no, no. That, look, that's not being talked about enough. That's a gigantic number. I think, frankly, I, th I think Oprah had a huge impact. Now, th this is when this many people showed up, some press reports are saying the Clintons already knew it was over. When they saw the lines around the, you know, around the block for when the, they opened the doors for the caucuses, they're like, oh, we're in trouble. Because, look, optimistic uh, expectations of voter turnout was 20% higher than 2004 they got nearly a hundred percent higher mm -hmm. that's overwhelming when you get a hundred percent of you know more than you did the year before or the election before in voter turnout the answer is never until now so this whole thing about the obama excitement it's not playing it's true it's it's real it's palpable and and yesterday we saw its results and I saw I read another press report, which was a little depressing for Hillary Clinton. They said, you know, the room broke out, the caucus broke out into different sections of the room, as it does in Iowa. And you looked under the uh, Edwards sign, and it was, you know, some professionals, middle-aged, et cetera. The Obama side, you looked under their sign, and it was buzzing. Young people, energetic, mix of people, mix of ethnicities, as much as you can in Iowa, you know, and a mix of age groups, but but much more young, vibrant, buzzing. You looked over to Hill under Hillary Clinton sign, and it was a bunch of little old ladies with white hair sitting there calmly waiting to just vote and then go back home. And look, nothing wrong with little old ladies. <laughs> They're Americans. God bless them. And a lot of little old ladies listen to this show, and we love you guys. But when you look at that picture, you get a sense of, uh-oh, if you're Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. You know, you need that. There's some degree of buzz that you need, some vibrance, some energy, etc., and in that room, you look at it and you go, who's going to be the winner going forward? And you can't help but think it's going to be Obama. So voter turnout, if it continues like this in New Hampshire and South Carolina, we're going to Florida, we're going to Nevada, <laughs> it goes to all these different states, It's going to, it might be a cakewalk. It now I'm getting carried away. It all depends on what happens in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. If he beats her in New Hampshire, she's in serious trouble. You know, as Ben said last night, you know, you got to knock her out three times, right? Or you got to knock her down three times to knock her out, like Tyson in his prime. But Buster Douglas did it. Now, the thing is, we got first knockdown here in Iowa. New Hampshire is critical because we know the third knockdown is coming. It's in South Carolina. She's going to lose in South Carolina. Oh, no doubt about it. Right. 50% of the voters in South Carolina in the Democratic primaries are African-American. Look, 
I could prove to be wrong, and maybe I'm You're not wrong. They're all going to vote for Obama. Okay, but let's get real. Okay, so she's going to lose in South Carolina. That's why New Hampshire is make or break, because if she gets knocked down in New Hampshire, that's when she's in South Carolina looking for her mouthpiece going, uh, on the ground, and she ain't getting back up. So this night might have been very historic, as Obama said. When we come back, more of Obama. Uh, results came in last night was impressive, not just an impressive win uh, for Barack Obama, and uh, it, frankly, it was an impressive showing for uh, John Edwards too, uh, and a little bit less so for Hillary Clinton, particularly based upon the expectations. But what was really shocking was the incredible increase in how many Democrats turned out in Iowa last night. This shattered records, ladies and gentlemen, shattered records for youth vote, shattered records for Democrats. It was an incredible evening all around. Here is Barack Obama uh, giving his, I guess, his victory speech last night. Now, remember, this is just one primary uh, or caucus, I should say. It's just the start. But this is it was a stunning victory last night. There's really no two ways about it. Uh, let's play number one. Thank you, Iowa. They said this day would never come. They said our sights were set too high. They said this country was too divided, too disillusioned to ever come together around a common purpose. But on this January night, at this defining moment in history, you have done what the cynics said we couldn't do. Uh, and, uh, you know, he did it. I mean, uh, there was a lot of people who were saying that he was naive to uh, worry so much about the uh, the youth vote uh, that he was uh, naive in uh, trying to bring in new caucus goers. I mean, we had heard this before. Even Joe Trippi, uh, who uh, campaign manager for John Edwards, had said that this was what they had planned to do uh, for uh, uh, for Howard Dean. And uh, it never uh, came to fruition, but it did come to fruition for Barack Obama last night. Here are some numbers. They're astonishing, folks. I mean, these numbers uh, in 2000, which is the last time that there was a, uh, a primary slash caucus. Remember, the Republicans do not caucus. What the Republicans do is they simply go and vote. Uh, so you, you have to weigh that into the consideration. It is a much bigger commitment to go for two hours in a room and go through the debating process and go through the the entire caucusing process than it is to go and pull a lever. Uh, so you must also consider that fact when I tell you this these numbers uh, because it makes it all the more... Uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm speechless. 
I mean, I, I, I am genuinely speechless. Uh, in 2000, the last time that there was a caucus slash primary uh, involving both parties, Republicans had 87,000 voters. Democrats produced 59,000 voters. Now, 2000, I believe, uh, Iowa went for Gore, just barely. In 2004, it went for Bush. So this is has been considered more or less a swing state. Uh, I think that has basically changed now, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, there are approximately 600,000 registered Democrats in Iowa, about 550,000 Republicans. Last night, the Republicans had 115,000 voters. That's a 30% increase, which is impressive until you until you compare it to the number of Democrats that turned out, 236,000. I don't have my iPhone here with me, so I can't do the numbers, but 59,000, uh, an increase of over 150,000 voters, over 170,000 voters. That's just astonishing. I mean, uh, Lauren, do percentages even go that high? Oh, gosh, it's been a long time since I was in a math class. Yes, I mean, that's why we talk politics here, because we don't, we, we don't know math. I mean, that's why we're on the radio. That's uh, why you have an iPhone. That's the only reason you got it. Yeah, for the calculator function, mm -hmm. and when I need it the most, it's not here. And, of course, on the Republican side, uh, the, the Republicans' worst nightmare has come to fruition. Mike Huckabee won in a... A massive, he had a massive victory, 34% to 25% over Mitt Romney. Now, I don't know how many millions of dollars Mitt Romney put in there. It was something like 10 or 11, or maybe that was just 10 or 11 of his own millions of dollars. Uh, now, if you are any one of the five Romney brothers, and I have heard rumors that there's actually a sixth brother floating out around there, but that, is, of course, is an unconfirmed rumor. Um, if you are uh, Tag or uh, Ben or Craig or Matt Romney uh, or Josh Romney and you were driving around in that that Mittmobile, the completely decked out Winnebago that they were cruising through Iowa, spending their daddy's millions of dollars. Now, of course, you know, daddy was also very kind to them and saying that they were uh, serving their country in a way that no one in the armed forces could. They were helping Mitt on the ground, uh, trying to get him elected in Iowa. Well, mission not accomplished. Uh, Romney, like I said, uh, came in with nine points less than Huckabee. Uh, Huckabee, who did not have much money. And what you're seeing, folks, and I hate to toot my own horn, but if you're on the Sammy Cam, you can actually see me. I am right now tooting my own horn. Uh, I can give you. A, 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 that's not it. Hold on for a try second. again. Go ahead. Uh, let me Mash let me see if I can. Let me just try and see if I can toot my own horn. There we go. You guys thought I had a tiny little horn back here. No, I haven't. When I toot my own horn, I toot my own horn. Uh, but in FUBAR, the uh, book that uh, Stephen Sherrill and I wrote. FUBAR, America's right-wing nightmare. We talked about the Frankenstein that the Republican Party had created and now had taken over the Republican Party. And if there is anything that proves that, it was proved 
yesterday, ladies and gentlemen, uh, with Mike Huckabee's win. He had virtually no money. All he had was this 12 million person strong email list that had actually been co uh, compiled from, uh, what's that lunatic, Mel Gibson's movie. What was the name of it again? Apocalypto? No, no. <laughs> the Passion of the Christ? It was Passion of the Christ. It was either Passion of the Christ or Mad Max. I think <laughs> it was the Passion weapon. of the Christ. Lethal Weapon 4. Lethal Weapon 4. And uh, so you saw the, the theocrats basically turn out, despite all of the attempts by the Rush Limbaugh's and the uh, Rich Lowry's and the Peggy Noonan's, please don't vote for this guy. He doesn't... He doesn't follow the line on the uh, for the rich only, at least in rhetoric, anyways. And uh, yet, uh, the Republican Party begins uh, what I think is its formal implosion, ladies and gentlemen. Break out the popcorn. This is going to be fun. If you're listening to this show on or before Tuesday, January the 8th, and you're not doing anything in the evening, you should come down to the Best Left Community Forums and hang out. We're going to be chatting it up and watching the live Young Turks coverage of the New Hampshire primaries. Um, there's going to be a chat room set up on the front page of the forums. You don't have to log in. You don't have to register. You don't have to do any of that. You can just come down and start chatting. I'm not exactly sure about the times right now, but I will post that information as soon as I find out. So that's going to be it for this show. Thanks for listening, and hopefully I will see some of you guys on Tuesday night. Black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining shoe